Welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. Hey, everybody, welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. We're recording live from REI Mastery Studios in St. Louis, California. <laughs> All right. St. Louis, Southern California, San Diego, where it's nice and beautiful. <laughs> no. Alex, how are you, my man? I'm I'm good. That was a very interesting introduction there. Um, I'm. Uh, we are recording live also from Virginia Beach, California at the same time. Right, right, so. right. I, my, it was my Freudian slip. Wishing... <laughs> Wishing I was in California. But I'm glad to be on this show. I love doing this podcast, and we got a great guest, Tom Nardone. Yeah, we do. Better known as the Millionaire Mailman. <laughs> we'll talk about his story. He's got some really cool things to share. Tom's been in the business a long time. He does a lot of deals. He's a great guy. I met him in my mastermind. But I just wanted to let everybody know that if you go to realestateinvestingmastery.com, you get some cool stuff like our Fast Cash Survival Kit. And if you go to the show notes for this episode with Tom, we have a really valuable free bonus. Very, very valuable. And it's Absolutely. really, I don't think anybody has ever offered anything like this on a podcast before. And it's the first time. Yeah, we'll talk about it in a little bit, build some suspense here, right? Get people to listen to the show. Drop a mental anchor. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so uh, any deals you're working on that you want to talk about real quick before we jump in our interview with Tom? Oh, let's see here. Uh, yeah, I guess um, there's a pain in the neck deal that I'm working on actually trying to get uh, wrapped up. A uh, lady came in to one of my websites and... Uh, I sent my acquisitions guy out there, met with her, got a, got her under a contract price, said, good to go. We're going to close in 14 days. And uh, then the next day she calls me up and says, oh, is this contract legal or, or is this a contract I can just get out of? I said, well, ma'am, you actually wow. signed a legal agreement, you know? You wouldn't want in the same way if you were if this was a contract that uh, you wanted to sign and wanted me to perform on you wouldn't want me to just bail on you at the last minute would you you know it's a legal agreement it goes both ways so she's like yeah but I, I think my payoff's higher than what I thought it was and I think I've got another judgment on it and I you know I need I need to make sure I cover those so I said nope sorry you know it, it just is what it is we negotiated the deal. And with a recorded contract down at the courthouse um, and a legal agreement between you and I, this is uh, this is this is what it is. So, I mean, we're supposed to close on it in the next week. So, it'll be interesting. She's tried to uh, play some games with me, and I'm sure pe people have uh, experienced that before. Um, but we'll see what happens. You know, we can. Uh, she can maybe try to not show up, and then she's going to have to deal with a little bit of. Uh, a lawsuit action, but you know, it is what it is, hmm. right? You know, it reminded me of this is something I don't do, but I've always wanted to. Uh, and this was an idea I got from oh, what was her name? His name, <laughs> Michael Quarles. Michael Quarles, and uh, 
he does something really interesting. He has his attorney send a, a letter to every seller that he gets under contract. And the letter is just a simple, friendly letter that says, hey, and it has, you know, the law offices of do we cheat him and how at the top, right? And the letter gets sent and it says, hey, congratulations on entering into a contract to purchase the property at 123 Main Street with Joe Blow, the investor. And I just want you to know that I'll be handling the transaction if you have any questions, da 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 But it comes from a and, – and here's a reminder of the details. We're going to close on this date. It's going to be for this price, whatever, whatever. But the fact that that kind of a letter comes from a an attorney helps solidify the contract and helps, in you know, at least psychologically make them think twice before trying to break it. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that makes sense. Okay. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Well, cool. Something to think about. Maybe that'll be helpful to somebody out there. Yeah. I mean, you got, I mean, people, it amazes me how, you know, when you give your word to something, some people really put no value behind mm-hmm. their word. They're just like, oh, I said, I'm going to do this, but that was before. That's our public school system at work. You think? Yeah. It's a public, everything's a public school's fault. Uh- <laughs> I'm just kidding. That was a bad joke. Bad joke. Sorry. Huh. It's okay. So what's going on in my life? I, you know, uh, I don't know, because it's hard. We just recorded an interview podcast the other day, and I gave all my updates on that last podcast. So if anybody wants an update, just go listen yeah, to the I last did too. episode. My, upda- my update of the four or five deals were closing. Uh, still, oh, yeah, that's the other thing. I got a really crazy, uh, picky um buyer for new construction where she's gone through with a fine tooth comb and like noticed even like little things like a screw wasn't perfectly straight in one of the door lock sets or something like that i i I kid you not like hundreds of items like that was just ridiculous but nice everybody deserves their opinion i guess it's all good (laughs) depending (laughs) several factors but let's get into tom Let's uh, get him. Yeah, yeah. Tom Nardone is with us from sunny Florida, right, Tom, where you hunt alligators and you, what else do you do? You hunt pigs or something? <laughs> Go airboating on the weekends out in the swamp or uh, I'm 20 minutes from the beach and five minutes from the Everglades. Awesome. And you're from New Jersey, though. And and you, you've kind of lost your New York accent. Yeah, I have. I have. Um, I'm and, a first generation born Italian yes. in the New York, New Jersey area, but yeah, I've got Southern roots for sure. Now, now you're a redneck. Exactly. <laughs> that's bad. <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> it depends. Yeah. You know, boy, I'm just in a bad mood today. There's nothing wrong with being a redneck. There's nothing wrong with public schools, but you know, if you're a redneck from a public school, that's, that's bad news. So, anyway, sorry, Tom. Tom, we we met at um, Mastermind, and this was in effect. It was in probably in Florida. I think we met for the first time. It was in Tampa, and you've been in the business a long time, haven't you? Yeah, um, no spring chicken. I I actually started and I bought my very first property. Uh, well, my first investment property I bought when I was 25. I actually custom built my first home when I was 23. That was just a couple years ago, too, right? I am 55 now. Yeah, so it's been about 30 <laughs> years in the business. Wow. 
but you have a real, you kind of unique story. You started, you had a career as a mailman, right? Exactly, exactly. Way back in the day when I was 19 years old, I moved from Jersey down to Fort Lauderdale. And uh, I did that because when I was 16 years old, I lied on a postal application down here when I was visiting for the summer. And I said I was 18 because uh, I'm like six foot five, so I really looked my age. Wow. But I lied on the app and I got called for the post office by the time I was 18. And uh, they called me down here to work as a mailman. And uh, it was amazing. They put me on a route right next to Fort Lauderdale Beach watching girls in bikinis. And I thought, I would have done this for free. They don't have to pay me to do this, you know? <laughs> How but old were you again? I'm 55 now. No, no, no. Like, were you when you started working? Oh, I was 19 when I moved to Fort Lauderdale. Wow, okay. And so you started working for the post office right about that time, right? Yeah, and uh, that's where I went, met my wife when I was 21 years old. We got married. We, we built our own house. And, you know, I'm sure you got a lot of listeners that are kind of blue-collar workers that could probably relate to maybe how I got started because I got started with not a silver spoon in my mouth. I really didn't have rich mommy and daddy to help me out or anything like that. But I met my wife at the post office. We settled down. We we're making good blue-collar paychecks. But then my wife, with her high standards, she informed me that uh, she was going to be a full-time mom and that I was going to have to support us all by myself. Hmm. And living on a mailman's paycheck, that was not easy. And I soon realized that I had to do something, and I had to do it fast. So back in the early 80s, you know, being from South Florida, we used to have a lot of these no money down seminars with Robert Allen back in the day of, you know, the mid eighties that would run through Florida, through Orlando, through Fort Lauderdale and stuff. So I actually jumped into one of those seminars and I learned from a couple old timers in the business that were really real people here in Florida. And I learned from a couple mentors that were really dialed in. So they kind of helped me become aware that, Hey Tom, you're a mailman. You get to see all this stuff on the street that the public really can't see and stuff like people getting certified letters from mortgage companies saying that they're going into foreclosure. You get to see the bills and the bills that they get from bill collectors. I mean, this is way before the internet in the eighties. So the only communication you form you had was really through the U S postal service when bad news came. So, you know, it was my job literally as a letter carrier when, you know, Bank of America or somebody would foreclose on somebody, they'd send out a certified letter. This is before it's public record, if you think about it. And it was my job to go up to the homeowner, knock on the front door and say, hey, I got a certified letter from Bank of America. Many times Wow. that, that conversation would turn into, oh, my God, I got to get rid of this house. Do you know anybody who wants to buy? And I've <laughs> I'm standing here in my postal uniform, and I'm saying, yeah, me. Wait, <laughs> let me go run into this phone booth and come out a different person. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. That's, that's exactly what I'd do. I, I'd run home and get in my civilian clothes and then come back so I didn't get in trouble with my boss at my job. Wow. So you had to tell them, yeah, kind of, I'd like to buy it, but I can't talk about it right now. I'll be back in a couple hours. Yeah, and I'd, make, I'd come back at night, and I'd make a deal with them at night. And just to kind of, for those old timers listening in, just to refresh their memories, back in the mid-80s, we had a, a, a savings and loan crisis happen that was 
there, a lot of it was, uh, a lot of the inventory was disposed of through the RTC, the Resolution Trust Corporation. So if anybody remembers that time, it was kind of a mini version of what we just saw happen in the marketplace here over the last five years. So that, that, that was my opportunity that I had to get started with. And it was awesome because doing that, I actually wound up buying 37 houses. And Now, were you doing short sales at the time? Or no, no. Uh, short sales, in fact, I didn't even know what they were until I got into the 90s, right. I think. And uh, short sales weren't popular. We really didn't hear about lenders taking discounts. It's like the bank just took the property back and, and disposed of it some other way. But um, back in that day and age, I literally, from age 25 to 35, I actually left the post office when I was 35. And over that 10-year period there, I accumulated about about 37 rental properties that I was renting. And then it got to be kind of crazy because, you know, I'm pulling up to deliver the mail and the tenant would run out the front door of the house and she'd go, wait a minute, I got money. She'd be peeling off $100 bills and rent at the mailbox. I'm like, no, 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 don't do that here. This is not the time or the place for that, you know? So um, I have some houses that I still own that are on my old mail routes here in Fort Lauderdale where I have three or four houses all on the same street because the word got out that, you know, hey, if you get in trouble, Tom will buy the house. So I I had a lot of networking. That's unique. That's really unique. Sure is. Can Postman still kind of do deals today like that or is it harder for a mailman to be able to do something like that? Well, they have had a lot of things that you've we've all probably experienced with things like private information and privacy uh, disclosures and stuff like that. But pretty much, uh, overall speaking, a mailman is like a public servant, just like a fireman or a police officer. And if you walk up to a mailman or a police officer, for that matter, and you ask them, hey, how do I get to 123 Main Street? Well, they're a public servant, so they're really supposed to volunteer any information about that address you ask them about because... It's, it's plain view information, you know, plain view information. If you can see the address from the house and you can tell them it's, it's, it's no big deal to, to help somebody out. Now, where you start to push the issue a little bit with a letter carrier is you can start to ask some questions like, hey, do you not happen to have any house on your mail route where you've got, you know, really tall grass or you know that the house is vacant? Well, that's also plain view information. So, if you ask them about any vacant properties on your mail route, if they're friendly and they have the time to talk to you, they'll probably talk to you. Okay. And if you're a jerk, they won't. <laughs> yeah, it's all in how you, how you approach the mail carrier. And this is kind of maybe getting into a little of the philosophy about how do you approach your mail carrier and how do you ask them about these things. Well, um, you know, first of all, you don't want to be dressed with a suit and a tie because they're going to think you're from some branch of the government to check up on them or something like that. Yeah. You just want to look like um, like you do every day in your business. And if you look like I do, I typically wear just like you know casual polo shirt that has embroidered around it. Uh, I buy houses cash with a house and my phone number. So right away when you walk up to them, they'll see something like that on your shirt and they'll think, oh, okay, this guy is probably an investor or a house flipper or something like that. And and usually they know that, you know, you're, you're not going to bite them. Okay. 
Now, how long did you work for the Postal Service and, and why did you leave? I worked for them for a total of 16 years. I started when I was 19 and I left when I was 35. And I mainly did that because when I got up to the point where I had, you know, over 30 rental properties, you know, I'd wake up and I just had, I had stuff to do. You know, I didn't have time to go to work, but I, I was afraid to quit my job. I mean, it was like a leap of faith that I had to take to get to the next level. And even though the houses were producing cash flow, because even back then, uh, back then in the 80s, you know, 200 bucks was pretty much a, a decent chunk of money. And I wouldn't touch a house. I, I wouldn't buy it unless I knew that once I took it over, it would positive cash flow $200 a month. And so again, I, you were you were either uh, assuming these loans or but taking them over subject to, right? Yeah. And, and I should tell folks, um, some of you younger folks listening to this podcast, um, believe it or not, there actually was a time when there was no such thing as a due on sale clause in a mortgage. Right. You know, that's that's something that's that like banks, 1986, right? Yeah. In fact, uh, a lot of the around 86 or 87, a lot of the fully freely assumable VA and FHA loans were just starting to get some regulation in the paragraph 17. They were now starting to say that they're freely assumable or, or they're assumable with qualification. So, you know, it wasn't just freely assumable. Then you had to produce financials. But, you know, back in the 70s, if we could turn back a page even further earlier than that, um, a lot of the mortgages, you could just take them over if you wanted because there weren't any due on sale clauses in them. Wow. Right. And that's what people, that's why they, they uh, put the kibosh on that because they didn't know where the loan was going. And, and it, yeah. made, it makes sense. That's the smarter thing to do for sure. It, it might have been assumed by three or four different people. Yeah. In fact, it's funny we're having this conversation about this right now because I actually have one house that's in its 28 and a half year of a fully assumable VA loan that I took over. And I've only got, I was looking at my books this morning, I've got 15 more payments on it, and then it's free and clear. But I never qualified to take over that loan. I just took over that loan, and uh, it was fully assumable without qualification. So you're on the title. The bank sends notices, notifications to you? Correct. Correct. They, they send it to me. Wow. And, and uh, yeah, most, most of that payment's fully amortizing at this point. So, um, uh, and I'm not saying the way I started, Joe and Alex, I'm not saying the way I started was really the best way. In fact, looking back at it today, I tend to tell people that I think I actually started backwards because if I knew what I was, if I knew what I know now, I would start out buying and selling to generate a large pile of cash and then go into very low end rental properties and just buying for cash with the money I would make in my buy-sell business. Interesting. So you're saying I would either wholesale properties or fix and flip, use my profits to start buying low-end rental properties. Correct, yes. Now, low-end, I mean, that's, I mean, that's a lot of a, a, a merry-go-round, isn't it? In and out of the property, tenants in and out, tenants in and out, tear it up, fix it up, tear it up, fix it up. Well, it just depends. Uh, it, it's Yeah, it's if you live... If you live in the slums of Virginia Beach, sure. <laughs> right. Nice. 
Hey, I I'm we don't have five thousand dollar houses like St. Louis does now. Come on. Well, we, every city has their rundown areas, but I think what Tom's talking about, I'll put words into his mouth. <laughs> are are the areas outside of the really expensive markets? Uh, you know, Florida, you can buy a house for seventy five grand that rents for a thousand twelve hundred a month, right, Tom? Absolutely. In fact. Uh, the actual town I live in is a little horse town called Parkland, and it's right next to Boca Raton. And in fact, Boca is only a few blocks away. And if I go over into Boca Raton, that property that I was just describing to you that's going to be free and clear and 15 more payments, it's a mobile home. It's wow. a three-bedroom, two-bath mobile home, and I just got a tenant signed up this morning. I took the application and deposit, 1500 a month. Wow. Whoa. All I paid for that thing was $45,000. For a mobile home? For a mobile home. When did you buy it? I bought that about seven years ago, and I even had the seller carry back a zero-interest, fully amortized mortgage for like $7,000. I just did quick math in my head, and I said, let me see, $7,000 divided by $170 a month. Okay. <laughs> and he wow. said that's fine yeah for no money down yeah that's nice so yeah so the bottom line is I would make cash if I were starting all over again I'd make chunks of cash with buying and selling activity because as much as a lot of us like buying and selling and wholesaling and, and even rehabbing houses you know it's a treadmill that you're always running on and if you just get to the point where you've got 10 houses just to, to start, 10 low-end houses free and clear, you'll have a lifestyle like a lot of people in America don't have. Well, especially if you don't have any debt, right? I yeah. Mean, yeah, yeah. And I talk to this, about this a lot. When you talk to somebody who thinks that they have to have like $5 million in the bank to live, retire comfortably, and that stresses people out. Man, I got to work till I'm 75 years old. I have to save every penny. I have to live like a like a poor beggar until I'm 75 years old. And then when I'm 75, I can retire and live comfortably because I'll have enough money to survive me or whatever. But here's the bottom line. The beautiful thing about real estate is you could have, if you just worked on eliminating your debt, you if you had 10 rental properties that were paying you 1000 a month, that's what? That's cash, free and clear, and take out 30% for maybe 40%. Probably like 7500 bucks. Yeah. A month. You can live really, really high on the hog on five, seven grand dollars, five or $7,000 a month with no debt. I mean, you yeah. can live very, very comfortably. So you're absolutely right. And how much would those 10 properties cost? Um, you know, 500000 bucks, seventy, $750,000? Not that much. Well, not to mention that's that's mobile homes I just mentioned there, and you know Florida's the good old South, and they're all over the place. And when I say mobile home, mind you, I would never buy one unless the land came with it. Okay. You know, yeah, I was going to say that because in yeah. Florida you have a lot of that. Yeah, we have a lot of mobile home parks. This is not a mobile home park where you pay lot rent. It's actually a mobile home subdivision, which is just like any other housing subdivision, but. It, that's Boca Raton, which is probably one of the most expensive parts of the state of Florida. Once you get in the center of Florida, Florida is still very much a hick state. And all throughout the center of Florida, in the, in the heartland of Florida, 
you can buy still a solid single family home for like, you know, 50 to 60,000 and in many cases much less. And how much will they rent for? They'll rent for a thousand. That's pretty good. They'll rent for a thousand. I mean, that's similar. Those are similar numbers to what you see in St. Louis. Yeah. But it's a lot, it's a lot less humid up here in the summer. Yeah, that's true. And your wind doesn't blow at 150 miles an hour every now and then. (laughs) (laughs) That's interesting. So you finally quit your postal job because you had enough properties, you're bringing in enough cash flow. And it was, you, you really came to a point, right, where you had too much work. You couldn't do both, right? Exactly. So, you know, I remember that day well. I woke up, my wife was like, you're too stressed. You have more important things to do in your own business than to go to work for Uncle Sam to get today. So she was the one who, who helped put her foot down and, and it was like, you know, enough is enough. So I gave my boss a 30-day notice and, um, and uh, it was actually quite, quite interesting because when I turned in my resignation, they said, you got 16 years, you got a promising life as a mailman. He said, what promotions? We've never had anybody quit with 16 years in for no reason. I said, I got something better working for me. And they said, do you want to be a supervisor? And I said, no, thanks. But um, (laughs) so I I left and and once I quit my job, obviously I had my daytimes available, which I never had before. And with 30-something properties, honestly, guys, I never even sold a house. Not I, I had never bought and sold a property having three dozen houses. So then I had my daytimes available and I thought, well, this is interesting. Let me try rehabbing a few houses. And that kind of came natural to me because my dad uh, built houses up north in Jersey. And from when I was a kid, I'd watch him nail these houses together and, and I pretty much saw how they go together. And I thought, well, remodeling a house can't be all that hard. So uh, I got into doing that during the days, and I figured, you know, I got enough tenants. I got enough long-term keepers. I'm just going to focus on buying and selling activity. And then I went into buying and, and, uh, and uh, rehabbing houses. Now, was your income from these rental properties re- enough to replace your income as a high-paid postal delivery guy? It was enough. And a high-paid postal delivery guy doesn't make that much money. <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah. You know, it's about 50 grand a year. And uh, back in the 90s, you know, the market was steadily moving up. And I had some houses where I would just buy it and sell it and remodel it. We would make 50 grand on one deal. And, you know, probably a lot of the rehabbers that did this prior to the the real estate crash, like in the early 2000s, experienced the same thing as the market was going up so quickly. Well, what, if you don't mind talking too, what, what happened to you? in your business during the crash because Florida was, was hit really hard. Yeah, it definitely was. And I'll be the first to say that sitting on all these houses, I came to a realization one day that as the equity was going down and down and down, I realized, realized, wow, I need to sell off some of these houses and I need to sell them off quick. So I did that. And, you know, there's a couple of them that I actually did have to short sale in the end because they were we had such a, a market correction here that you had to be such an astronomical buyer that it, it you know, for instance I have houses right now that I still own that went all the way up to three hundred thousand and in the market crash they were worth thirty five or forty thousand 
Wow. In, in two years, I saw a 75 to 90% correction in some of my properties. And the, the good news was I learned about the houses that didn't have a mortgage. I was okay. Right. You know, they still rented. They still cash flow. That was okay. But it was a time to trim the portfolio and just really weed through it and figure out, okay, if it's upside down and it doesn't create a, um, it doesn't create a profit, then it's, you know, it's okay to nip and prune. Every business has to prune at some point, every portfolio. You know, it's like dumping a bad stock or something that's not performing. But you weren't over leveraged for the most part. And some properties maybe you were, but in general, you weren't over leveraged, which allowed you to weather the storm, right? Yeah. And, and uh, the good news was a lot of those properties that I had seller carryback mortgages, it, it opened up the door to renegotiate the debt on those properties with the sellers. So even though they were getting steady cash flow from mortgages I held over years, I was like, hey, guys, look where the market is today. And I'd send them some statistics and start negotiating all over again and made an even better deal. And, and now the truth be told, in the last three years, our market here has at least doubled in three years. Wow. You know, it was like, you know, the last, I'd say, four to five years ago, the whole state of Florida was on sale. And, and uh, I went and looked at, a, I looked at a house this morning that I bought 18 months ago for $60,000. It was a short sale. I got it from a bank. And I flipped it. I, I um, wholesale it to an investor for 125 So I made a, about a $60,000 profit on that deal. He went and sold it just six months ago after taking his time over a year to rehab it. He sold it for 320000 Wow. So that's what our market's been doing. That's in the city of Coral Springs, right next door. Do you think it's a bubble? It's a, is it a new bubble or are prices just coming back to normal? Well, I can say that as long – so far it hasn't exceeded the highs that we had in 2006. It's probably come back about 75%, which, yes, is a little bit scary, but – I will say a lot of this is also fueled by the low cost of borrowing money because when you go down the bank and, and get a you know a, like a ninety something percent loan with a three and a half percent interest rate, your pay, your payment is so small that it allows you to pay more for the properties and still have a relatively low payment. So um, it's you know as as long as things make sense, you know, and, and when I say as long as things make sense, like as long as the rents are you know fourteen or fifteen hundred a month for a three bedroom? If you could buy the house from a basic ROI point of view, and it still cash flows well, then it makes sense. And when houses make sense, people will buy them. And so, do you see more speculators coming back into the market, or do you do you see investors still sticking to the fundamentals like they should uh, with buying you know cash flow? Does that make sense? Well, investors that are like you and I, we are having a, a challenge here. And, uh, and it's mainly because a lot of the hedge funds in the South Florida area, they're gobbling everything up. And, and they're paying full market value for properties. And, they're, and the, when you get the property at full market value, it needs still another twenty dollars to $30,000 in rehab. But these hedge funds are under such pressure to get this money out on the streets so that they can get their 
you know, their management fee, I guess, for, for placing all these dollars and putting them to work, that they have to just get the money out. And they're making stupid buying decisions, in, in my opinion. But what it's done is it's made us, us um, mom and pop investors, if that's a fair word to call us, um, it's made us um, have to go to more keen ways of finding deals. You, know, you just can't go to the MLS today and, and really find a deal, not in my market. Now, I can go up into Central Florida or I can go to, we just finished rehabbing a house the other day in Titusville. I just finished up uh, about a month ago another house in Port Charlotte. And there, you can still pick up a nice three-bedroom, two-bath with a two-car garage for like, you know, fifty-five, sixty thousand. 60000 And then when you fix it up, it's still worth a hundred to a hundred and twenty. So those numbers make sense. You know, it, what, <clears throat> what market are you in? What's your home market? My home market is I, I like to work Broward because that's, that's ah. in my area. And I live like about three or four blocks from the Palm Beach County borderline. Okay. So Palm Beach County is also a good county. But the last, the last um, two properties I bought, I bought one in Titusville, which is up where the space shuttle takes off. It's literally there was a, there was a rocket launch about, about a month ago, and uh, the house shook a little bit because it's like nice. – seven miles from the launch pad and uh the other house in port charlotte's over in the fort myers area that that's a real good area too i, I recommend that area if anybody knows anything about florida because it's florida is like the new york city part I, i'm sorry fort lauderdale is like the new york city part of the state of florida and we're very trendy and we're always ahead of the rest of the state the rest of the state moves a lot slower and tends to be a little more country interesting where do you see the hedge funds right now? Are they still actively buying? Are they leaving Florida? No, they're still actively buying. In fact, I went and looked that house I just told you I bought for 60000 I looked at a house an hour before this podcast, uh, five houses down from there, and a realtor called me with a, with a tip. She said it was a back pocket deal. And I walked in there, and I was looking at the house with a friend of mine. We're in there about five minutes, and a hedge fund guy pulled up. And he said, I got to buy five houses this week. He said, uh, he said, I'm buying this one. I don't care what the price is. <laughs> I'm wow. like, okay, how do I keep up with That's that? That's who you want to wholesale to right yes. there. <laughs> what's, yeah. his, what's his name and number? Uh, I'll find some deals for him. <laughs> that's that's off-market information. Uh-huh. We'll talk after. Yeah. <laughs> so they're, they're still buying. Yeah. They definitely are, wow. and some some of the if the if some of the bigger ones have slowed down, then some of the private ones that just have you know maybe ten or twenty million dollars that they got a place are buying, and and the prices are going up. They're, they're, everything here pretty much sells within a reasonable amount of time. But I don't, close. I just still don't get the cash flow numbers. I mean, how can those properties and those price ranges cash flow? Our rents are high. Our okay. rents are high. Now that doesn't mean you can pay three hundred thousand for a property and rent it for fifteen hundred a month. But if you're paying, you know, around one hundred fifty and you can rent it for fifteen hundred a month, you're you're still getting a, a fairly decent yield. You know, it's it's crazy because just when you think Florida is super competitive and there's no more room for wholesalers there, like I, I have one coaching client who just flipped a deal, made twenty grand in Miami. You know how competitive Miami is, Tom, right? Yeah, yeah. His first deal makes twenty grand on it, 
And I have a partner that I'm doing some marketing with in the Tampa St. Pete area. And, you know, we we took about a couple months off, just kind of slowed things down a little bit. And we about a, three weeks ago, we ramped it up again. And he's already got four deals under contract. And he'll make an average of eight to 10 grand on each of those. But it just blows me away that even though it's so competitive there, you've got tons of wholesalers, you have tons of heads, tons of hedge funds in there buying properties, that uh, there's still enough left for the beginning investor, for anybody that wants to get down there and hustle, work hard, do some marketing, make a bunch of offers. You can still make money. Right. Well, I will say, you know, Broward County, which is Fort Lauderdale, is very competitive. And what I've learned over the years is one of the best parts, one of the funnest parts about having a whole bunch of rental property is now you get, now you're on all the absentee owner lists. Yeah. So I, I have a collection of direct mail. I've got everybody's postcard and yellow letter. In fact, one day, if you're ever here at the house, I'll show you. I've got trays of mail that I just collected over the years. And it's really interesting to look at the different direct mail pieces and how they changed over. I wonder if there's something you could do with that kind of a list, right? Cause you have the mailing addresses and you have phone numbers, right? I wonder if there's like some way you could make a product for those folks, or you could maybe co-wholesale deals. The reason I'm bringing this up is like, um, I know a guy in Atlanta, Georgia, I think in Atlanta, um, his wholesaling strategy is basically when he, and this isn't Peter, those of you that know, I work with Peter, it's not Peter, but, uh, you know, when he needs some money, he just goes through his list one by one of his network. Okay. These are wholesalers. These are buyers, property managers, realtors, anybody, right? Anybody in the real estate game. And he just goes through that list one by one. Hey, do you have any deals I'm looking to buy? Do you got anything? Then if they say no, he says, well, okay, well, um, do you have, are you looking for deals right now? Are you, do you, are you looking for a deal or do you have any buyers that are looking for a deal? And he just goes through his list one by one, calling everybody and asking them those two questions. And inevitably he'll find somebody that has a deal they're trying to sell right now. Maybe they just got under contract and he'll find somebody else that is looking to buy a property in that area. And he puts them together and makes his wholesaling fees that way. And he does it again next time he's hungry and he wants to make some more money. You know what I'm saying? The the, the power is in the, the list. Network. It's all they, they say your network determines your net worth. Absolutely. You got some good cliches, two in a row right there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's interesting. I mean, Tom, I'm just thinking with all of that mail that you've collected, maybe that you could get a VA or somebody get get an acquisitions guy to just start going through that list and calling every single investor you have. See, it would be interesting though over the years like that. Be interesting to see who's still active, right? Yeah, I was going to say a lot of people have come and gone for sure, but for the most part of it, my wholesaler, my wholesale buyers list, which which is about a thousand people on my list right now for this area, it's um it's mostly comprised of those letters. And uh, and some of the top funds. And, well, there you and, go. And you know, if you just follow the, the the title chain and just look who's buying these properties, and look how much they're buying them for, it'll tell you how you can sell your your house for top dollar and to whom. It's all a matter of public record. Which also goes to show you the importance of having a solid buyer's list. 
I mean, you may think too that, well, it's if I get a property under contract in Florida, it's going to be easy to sell. Well, that's true. But if you've got the right buyers and you know who they are and you have their phone number and you have a relationship with them, you can send a text or you can pick up the phone and call them. Uh, you're you're going to sell these properties a lot faster and for a lot more money if you set it up right. Yeah, I I, I definitely agree. And um, you know, you can actually track it down to about ten really hot buyers. And I can say the same for my list. I could blast a property out to a thousand people. But at the end of the day, it's usually the top 10 buyers over and over again who are snapping the stuff up. So I'll just call them and give them a personal introduction to the property and have somebody show it to them or I'll meet them out there. And the house usually goes under contract right away. Nice. So, Tom, are you doing much wholesaling now? Or are you still just fixing and flipping, buying and holding? I, I still buy and hold. And I, I, I don't, I'm not a, a real high-volume, low-margin wholesaler like a lot of the guys around me are. And a lot of the guys around me, because I watch their numbers and I watch their transactions, a lot of them make like 1000 or 1500 or on a deal. That's and I'm terrible. Like, yeah. <laughs> I, well, those are the guys that you want to co-wholesale deals with, Tom. Well, that's, that's the thing. I, I know they've got good buyers list and if I buy a pro if I get a property under contract that maybe doesn't have as much meat on the bone as I thought well they they've but, got contacts that'll take it but but find those guys who are okay with making a thousand bucks on a deal and say listen bring me the deals I'll pay you two thousand dollars right you may need to renegotiate a lower price or something like that but you take those wholesalers that are okay with making a thousand bucks and then you just match those deals with your buyers and and you can now have these bird dogs be i mean these wholesalers be your bird dogs does that make sense it does but i i'll also say the reason they're making such a low margin is because there's not a lot of margin there to start with all right well they're they're not negotiating them down low enough right right but but that's their model and and if that's the model they like well then who am i to comment on it you know <laughs> They like to do a I'd rather not be running on a treadmill because I run a pretty simple operation. I have a bookkeeper. I have a, um, a virtual assistant in the Philippines who does all the property research and stuff. And I have just two property acquisition people. And I pretty much myself take the low-hanging fruit of the calls that come in where they leave a message. And we, we don't answer any calls live. We go every, let everything go to voicemail. And I just do the callbacks, which is the low hanging fruit. And then my. Yeah, you do the recorded message or just a brief, hey, this I, is Tom, call me back or I'll call you back? Excellent question. I like the recorded message. Okay. I like Short the one message. or a longer one? Uh, I've done it both ways. And it depends the medium that I'm using because I actually, over the last year, I've been experimenting with television commercials. And uh -huh. since uh, probably. I really went hot and heavy on it last September. Since September to now, I probably ran about 500 TV commercials. Ah. Yeah. How'd they How'd go? It, go? It, it, it went, but it didn't go as well as I had planned. And what I learned is, number one, your calls come from every walk of life. I was getting Absolutely. empty, vacant lots. I was getting mobile homes. I was getting you know, folks that live out in the swamp, you know. You can only get there you with. You can't really target it very well. 
you can't target it all. So we spent a lot of time analyzing deals that were, were not so much in the target market. And I'll just pick a big city like, say, Tampa. Okay, I ran my commercials in Tampa. I was getting all these little hick towns in the center of the state that no one even ever heard of. And you or know, markets too. So when they see that, they're like, "Oh, somebody finally to buy my house." <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I could have named my price and and gotten the house, but I really didn't want it because it, it didn't right. fit my acquisition model. Right. So, um, so there's there's a lot of demographics you have to you have to study when you're running television commercials, just in the same way that you have to know exactly what your direct ma- mail criteria is going to be. Yeah. And, and the way you do that is it's it's the price you have to pay to run the commercial, number one. And number two, it's about the um, uh, the demographic of the person that watches that particular uh, program. So uh, just to give you one of the secrets, and some of it, I can't give all of it away, but I can tell you one of the secrets was we weren't running like conventional uh, AT&T U-verse or Cablevision or any of that stuff. We were running rabbit ear broadcast TV. So people that are watching reruns of Gilligan's Island <laughs> and Mikhail's Yeah, you don't want the new stuff, you no. know. No, people that are that are old enough to watch the honeymooners and know who they are, you know, that's that's the folks we were targeting and and you got to keep in mind where Florida is and who Florida is. Florida is a state that has a lot of snowbirds. So you have a lot of people that are living on a budget. They go up north during the during the uh, the summer, but they come down here in the winter. So we're in our prime season right now. We're just getting close to the end of it. So when these people come into their condo in Florida, a lot of them are too cheap to have the cable TV turned on the whole year. So they resort to rabbit ear TV. So now I'm having a conversation when they call because we're we're, adver- we're advertising on broadcast TV. They're calling because they're number one too cheap for some type of cable TV, which can easily, we know, you know, cost $100 a month on a steady basis. And they're watching all these ro- old rerun TV shows. So they're probably not the brightest bulb on the tree, you know? I mean, in all reality, what, what we're dealing, and you guys would probably admit to this too, is, is when your seller calls you, the less sophisticated the seller is when they call you, the much better chance you have of making a deal. So people that can relate to all these old black and white rerun shows, you know, they're, they're older. They don't, they don't know how to jump on the internet typically and do a Google search for the value of their property and know what it's worth within a thousand dollars. So you're dealing with a less sophisticated seller. So your, your chances of making a deal with that person go much higher. So all those strategies come into the TV advertising market that I've been learning over the last year. But but I will say direct mail is 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 actually better than TV depending on what your advertising budget is. Cool. Let's talk mailmen. So yeah. are you still using mailmen to bring you leads? Do you still recommend that um, cuz you one of the free things that we're going to be giving away in this podcast is access to what? Let's talk about mailmen. Absolutely. Well, I would say that my, number one, just to kind of lay the framework of, of how my marketing um, of my business happens. It's my number one favorite thing is direct mail. And maybe because 
I've been a mailman for all those years. I, I, I know mail. I, I've, I've worked with mail literally in my hands for years. So um, now that we know here in this day and age that we can pinpoint criteria with age and number of bedrooms and by zip code and all the different things that we can do when we go to one of these list companies, it, you can really fine-tune your target customer like so easily now with a couple of clicks of a mouse. So that's still my number one priority. But, you know, as a real estate investor, it's, it's almost having like, like having a, a golf bag on your shoulder every day. You know, you've got a, a series of clubs. You've got, you know, the put, putters for when you're on the green. You've got the drivers for when you're, you're starting out at the tee. And you've got all these tools for making a shot out on the golf course. And in essence, you know, as a real estate investor, you know, we all have tools that we use in different ways of acquiring leads. So I'd say my number one way is using direct mail. One of the other tools that I have in my in my my golf bag or one of my other clubs, so to speak, would be this um, this mailman handout CD that I created. And uh, what what this does is it it sets up a uh, like a bird dog network of mailmen who can look for deals for you and scout stuff that they're tripping over every single day, and they don't even realize it because. You know, when you're when you're out driving for dollars and, and you're out in any neighborhood, you know, you see a rundown vacant house, okay, you write it down. But there's somebody who's delivering your mail right now today that does that every single day. And believe it or not, <laughs> it's a boring job. You know, um, you know, I've always said that, you know, you can train a chimpanzee to deliver the mail because it, it doesn't get mentally challenging after a certain point. And that's, hey, all due respect to postal employees out there. Sorry about that. That was a little zing. But um, you know what they say about mailmen, uh, Joe and Alex? No. Well, wherever you find four mailmen, you'll find a fifth. I don't get it. I don't get it. Let it sink in. Let it sink in. Let it sink in. <laughs> I still don't get it. <laughs> a fifth. A fifth. Mailman. A fifth of alcohol. Come on, guys. Oh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's because you drink so much, Joe. Yeah, I don't. That's why I didn't get it. <laughs> oh, gosh. But anyway. Okay, Tom. Now we know, where your, we know where your head is at. <laughs> now, when you see these mailmen hanging around like that, you know, um, you, know you want to approach them and, and, and tell them that, you know, who you are and what you do. You know, everyone in this business has a little elevator speech they can give about, you know, how they buy houses for cash. And if they know somebody needs to sell in a hurry, that you're the go-to guy to go see. But back, uh, it was about 10 years ago when I came up with this idea because because I'm a mailman, I can go up to any letter carrier when I'm out on the street or I'm going to check on one of my rentals and I see the mail truck. I usually pull over and I'll have a conversation with the guy. And they've given me leads that they wouldn't give anybody else. And part of the reason they do that for me is because as soon as I go up to them, I say, hey, I was a letter carrier too, and you know, I kind of know what you're doing, how's your day going, all that stuff. So I speak mailman. Yeah. You know, it's like I know all the shop talk, I know the buzzwords they use, I know the lingo, and and I can connect with them right away. So about 10 years ago, I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to 
just kind of record on a cassette tape back in the day when, you know, we all listened to cassette tapes. I thought, I'm going to record a cassette tape just for mailmen, and I'm going to put on there all the things that I would see during my day, and I'm going to tell them my story, how I got started buying houses. And, and like I said, a mailman, basically, once they know the route, they can do it subconsciously, and they have nothing else to do during the day. So a lot of them listen to, like, CDs or DVDs or something like that. They bring a radio in their truck, and I know I did that for years. I'd plug it in the cigarette lighter, and I'd listen to recordings. So if you go up to a mailman and you hand them a cassette, or in this day you'd probably say a CD, you know, something that you can just give them that says, um, hey, you know, Mr. Mailman, this is how letter carriers are turning their routes into a cash cow. And what I did was I started with this cassette tape. And the cassette tape was just me talking mailman to their mailman. And I started, I started handing these out to postal carriers. And one day I was at a RIA club for a luncheon meeting and a couple of the other investors looked at me and they said, you know what, we know you're doing something out there that's a little different than the rest of us. What are you doing? So I said, well, it's simple. And I was giving them the advice that I'm giving listeners on your podcast here today is, you know, make a little recording on a CD that tells about all the things you'd see, like when you're out driving for dollars, run down vacant houses, houses with you know, the, the water, due, water bill overdue hanger hanging on the, the front door hanger along with the pizza coupons and the newspapers piled up in the driveway and maybe the mailbox is full. And, you know, it's not hard to spot an empty house. You know, a lot of times if the front drapes are open, you can see straight through the house, <laughs> through the front window and out the back door. So your mailmen know where these houses are located. So this tape brings that awareness to the mailman and I would pass these out, and I was telling the guys at this real luncheon that I was out that, that this is what I was doing. And I told them, just go and make a tape like this for yourself, and you could do the same thing. And they said, well, you know, we don't speak mail, man. We don't want to do that. Why don't you make it for us? And a couple of them started paying me to record these tapes for them. And I said, no problem. I'll do it for you guys. That's fine. So what that turned into about 10 years ago was it, it turned into a real estate product that I would sell at RIA clubs. And I would often sell this for like, a, you know, $7.95. And I had some other courses on buying and selling and stuff that I bundle it with. And, but I would sell this and uh, people would pay like 800 bucks for it. And it would turn their mailmen that they would see out on the street into a bird dog for them. Nice. So, Joe, I, is it okay to, to talk about giving this away here? For sure. Okay. Yeah. Because I, I know we had discussed that um, I have this product, and honestly, I haven't. There's not a lot of people using it right now because I haven't really marketed this. I've just been using it for myself and for a few friends here locally. But you know, you invited me on your podcast, and and uh, and we talked about what can we give your listeners that's of value. And I thought, you know what? Why don't we just make this MP3 that they can download? And they can create their own CD, and I'll talk to their mailman for them because I know the, the shop talk and the lingo. And they can just download the MP3 and burn it on a CD and make a label for it. And I'll, I'll tell them a little bit about how to use this, you know, in the MP3 that we, uh, that we offer. And they can go to a website, which we have to talk about, <laughs> where we can make this. And, you know, I'd like for your, your listeners to benefit from this. And they could just have this for free and use it, free of charge. Just Let's do this. Because we haven't worked out the details yet. So t t t Tom called me like a week ago and I 
wasn't uh, able to call him back, so it's my fault. Um, but let's do this, Tom. They can go to the show notes for this podcast, and they'll have. There's a link on the show notes. So if you go to realestateinvestingmastery.com, and you just if from the top box, if you're listening to this in ten years, and uh, you can go, the, the audio will still be there. And just do a search for Tom in the search box, and you'll find this episode. It might be like episode 105, 110. Did you know that, Alex? We're over 100 episodes now already. So That's pretty incredible. Yeah, yeah. But, I, you know, there's other guys that have been doing podcasts for maybe like Bigger Pockets who have been doing podcasts for maybe a quarter of the time that we have that are already up to like 3,000. So it's not a big deal. Uh, th- so, oh, well, then there's the uh, the guy from – oh, never mind. Sorry. The If you go to realestateinvestingmastery.com <laughs> – and do a search for Tom and Tom Nardone if you want. You will see the show notes, and there will be a link in there where you can download this MP3 audio. Okay, and after you click that link, it'll ask you for some information. You'll get a you'll be sent to a page where you can download the audio, and there'll also be a link on there for more information on this this to get more information on this topic and to and to connect with Tom. Does that, does that sound good, Tom? That sounds good. Okay. That sounds good. I didn't mean to and, make that sound so complicated, but I think I did. Sure. And if they want a brief course description, they can also visit my website as yeah. well. Yeah. What is that? It's it's as simple as millionairemailman.com. Okay. Millionairemailman.com. M-I-L-L-I-O-N-A-I-R-E mailman.com. Correct. Excellent. So, Tom, we're still we still have a few minutes here. I'm just hoping to keep this under an hour. Talk about real quick, if you don't mind. What are what's some advice that you give to somebody who maybe they're in a market like Florida, maybe California, where they feel like it's real competitive. They're struggling to get deals. They're doing marketing, but maybe they're getting just a little frustrated. What what kind of advice would you give to somebody like that, Tom? The advice I give you is if you're frustrated because of your marketing efforts, talk to somebody in your market if you can find some friendly local competition that'll just tell you what the numbers are. Because I think when you have the right expectation from your marketing, then you're not going to be disappointed. Because when you don't know what the standard of comparison or what the results or response rate really should be, then you lead yourself to frustration. And Joe, I'll just say, I think um, between um, you know the mastermind group that we both met in, that's one of the biggest things that I left that mastermind with was knowing what my numbers ought to be. And I think one day right. we had a bunch of people in the mastermind agree that and, and I'll just throw some numbers out there because I think people will find these beneficial numbers. Uh, one of the things I, I got of that mastermind was 5,000 postcards mailed equals about 50 to 60 calls. And out of 50 to 60 calls, there should be one to two deals in there. Yep. And, and most people will agree that those, those are the numbers. So if you think, oh my God, I spent $5,000 in, in, in postcards and, and 
and I only got one deal or two deals. Well, that's great. Right. That's that's great. I mean, that's those are the numbers. Well, so, especially if each deal made you fifteen to twenty thousand dollars each, well, then it works. Exactly. Then there's conversion taking place. That's that's the right numbers. But that's what I say to new investors starting out all the time because I, I do have some students that I that I mentor. And when they have an expectation of their numbers and they know what they ought to be up front, then they find out the experience of marketing and sending out a lot of pieces and having to talk to, you know, 50 or 60 people. Then that's, that's, not, that's the business. That's, those are normal numbers. That's good. And even if they're not maybe normal in your market, well, you, you learn what that normal is by doing it and testing it. It may be one out of 30 leads that you get a deal. Maybe it's one out of a hundred, but you know right. what your numbers are. And generally speaking, if it's one out of a hundred, uh, maybe you're in a more competitive market, but your profits are going to be higher on each of those deals most likely because there's a higher demand. Buyers are willing to pay more for those properties. But you also need to know those numbers. It's important because you may be doing something wrong. It may be that, you know what, you're not calling sellers back quickly enough. Maybe you're not making enough offers on the phone. Maybe you are, whatever it could be, maybe you need to brush up on your sales skills. You know what I'm saying? Which one thing I do have to say, Tom, is I just went to your website and I can see where and who your mentor was way, way, way back in the day. And you know how I know this? By looking at your tie. Uh-oh. <laughs> I'm going there right now. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah, he was one of them. <laughs> I didn't even have to say it. <laughs> Famously known for his tie, yes. yes. Well, who was that? Can we Look, say it on the air? There? It looks like a normal tie to me. That's the uh, swirly, uh, what's the name of that? Which, what is the name of which that? Which lo- lo- lots of people wore that kind of tie. Maybe they still do. I, I don't wear ties, but. That's the, what's the name of that? Uh, pa- not Paisley. Paisley. Paisley, yes, 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 yes. Ron Legrand, he always wore the big, uh, the bright paisley uh, red tie and everything. <laughs> well, it wasn't. It wasn't Ron. You're at all. Yeah. Well, uh, actually, I mean, this goes very old school. If anybody remembers Jack Jack Miller, yeah, and, Jack uh, Miller sounds very familiar. Yeah. I think uh, you learned a lot of the uh, financing techniques from him, then, right? Like yeah. zero interest. Yeah. And I learned a lot from John Schaub also. He's he's from Sarasota and he's a real good guy and he's he's uh, getting up there in age like us all. But uh, John's a really good guy. Learned a lot. Awesome. From- Sorry yeah. about that. I just noticed that. <laughs> I thought you were referring to Pete Fortunato because I know Pete well also. Oh, wow. I can't believe that you look at his tie and you know who his, one of his original mentors are. Hey, I, I know. Ron Legrand, he's got the tie like that, and that's <laughs> like Ron Legrand's just green. <laughs> wow, amazing. Okay, so that's a good-looking website. You've got a free report there, five ways to find houses 30 to 50% below market, and yep. how to start making real money in the next 30 days. So go to millionairemailman.com to connect with Tom to get more information. And if you want this free MP3 recording, it's a download. We're not going to give you a cassette tape. 
if you want <laughs> the the MP3. You know what's funny are those videos I see them on YouTube where they they film little kids giving them they give them a VCR and they try to they film the kids try to figure out what this is and how to work it. It's it's so funny. A cassette tape would be even harder. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, it is. It's amazing how things have changed. They do. It's a series of videos where they'll one day they'll give them a, a audio tape and then they'll give them a VCR or they'll give them an eight track, different old technologies. Um, but anyway, so millionairemailman.com is Tom's website. And if you go to realestateinvestingmastery.com to our podcast, go to the show notes. We give you a free MP3 audio of this audio that you can give to your own local mailman to maybe start being a bird dog for you and start bringing you leads. Uh, Real quick, Tom, on that note, how much would you recommend paying a mailman for bringing you leads like that? 500 bucks is plenty. Okay. It's plenty. Great. And then do you talk at all on your website on how to find other mailmen that can do this for you, not just the one that's in your neighborhood? Not, not really. Uh, that's that's kind of something um, that I do in in the course. Okay, and uh, and I do that when I mentor people and stuff. I, I kind of tell them that as well. All right, so we'll so, have we'll have yeah. more information on that um, when you download the MP3. So we'll figure that out. Yeah, we'll add an extra page or something like a quick and uh, quick start guide if you have if well, you will. Good, Tom. Are we going to see you in San Diego in the next mastermind? You won't see me there. No. I won't okay. be at that. All right, all right, all right. That's a long flight. All right, well, this has been good. Alex, do you have anything you want to say before we let go that does not have to do with Tom's ties? Not with Tom's ties. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's cool how you can, uh, and I, I always say this, how you can really change your life with real estate. And we saw how Tom went from a mailman to the millionaire mailman, now no longer a mailman, but, you know. Yeah, he took real estate and changed his life, and I mean, all the way from you know we see the seventies, eighties, and now into where we're at now. So, I just wish we still had assumable loans. That would be pretty cool. Oh. <laughs> <Tell> <laughs> <me>. <laughs> the good old days. Yeah. In fact, it makes you think like, what is it going to be like in twenty years from now? You know, you're going to have to have. I don't know how is it going to be different then? That's that's a crazy thing. Maybe interest rates will be back up to twenty percent. Yeah. I also wish they had 69 Camaros also, but <laughs> right. The the Lincoln's coming out with the the new uh, Continental. Did you see that in the news? No, I didn't. Lincoln Continental is coming back. And it it's it's actually really nice. They show you should look it up on Google. They they'll sh- you can see some pictures of what the back seat looks like. This is a luxury car where they're actually putting a lot of attention into the back seat. For the players like me, we, you know, we have our chauffeur driving us around town, and we're in the back seat, you know, doing business. What kind of business are you referring to in the back seat? <laughs> oh boy! No, it's not. I'm just kidding. No, but look at the videos. It's pretty cool. They they've got this. They're putting some really luxurious upgrades in the back seat of this Lincoln Continental for uh, the higher end market. <laughs> the guys like me and Alex who, you know, are, are hustling in our minivans. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a minivan, man. Yet you will. No, one of these days. I've got, 
I've got to escalate ESV, and that serves my purpose just fine. <laughs> Did you, have you bought a front-end washer and dryer yet, Alex? Actually, I have not. And you know why? I've heard that, well, well we are going to be moving into that house. <laughs> right. They get really dirty around the rim there, so oh, it's don't. hard to clean them out. So go with the newer, the newer top loads. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> <laughs> what a way to end it. Yeah. Hey, thanks, Tom. You've been a good sport. You're welcome, guys. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Thanks, Tom. It's been good. All right, guys. Talk to you later. See ya.